My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am uh, I'm pleased to have on once again, Human Yazari. Um, Human's background is absolutely fantastic, and he's a great guest to have on in this uh, environment. Um, he's restructured four companies, uh, Gate Gourmet, C- CHC Helicopter, Waypoint Leasing. He's on the board of directors with ERA Helicopters down in, uh, in Houston or in, in Louisiana. And he's now on the board of directors with uh, with Speedcast, helping that company uh, manage its business through what is now COVID. So I asked him to come on back and uh, and talk about, hey, what are some of the things that companies need to be doing to uh, to get through this economic crisis we now find ourselves in? So, hey, Human, how are you? Craig, thank you for having me back. I'm great. I'm, you know, given everything that's going on in the world, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed to be safe and, uh, and, and have my loved ones be the same. So thank you for asking. Yeah, no, it's all good. So what's, uh, what's keeping you busy? We were talking, uh, we were talking a few, for a few minutes. What's keeping you busy right now? Well, um, uh, <laughs> two little ones at home keep me quite busy. There you go. Um, doing, doing some education uh, in terms of the homeschooling. As, as on top of the, the day job. Um, and, you know, I think working parents really need to get a shout out for the amount of uh, pressure they're probably under when we have to do our day job and sit to do a, a, a curriculum with our little ones. I'm enjoying the time with them. Um, professionally, I sit on the board of Bristow, although, although, as you know, we're in a merger process with ERA. So it'll all be the same one day, uh, assuming everything goes to plan. Um, I just joined the board of Speedcast, which, as you say, is a, is an internet uh, provider um, from satellite broadband. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the business that that faces the cruise ship industry and the offshore oil and gas industry. So uh, needs a little help, and I'm there to 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 help with the transformation and restructuring. Um, I sit on the board of Voyager, which is an aircraft lessor. Right. Um, and and you know I'm I'm uh, in in the midst of networking to find my next full time role as well, and I'm finding that incredibly interesting because it's a process whereby I've got to talk to so many interesting sources of capital, all the big P names that you can imagine, mm-hmm. and the middlemen, the investment bankers, and and the lawyers, and and all the other uh, providers of thought and mm-hmm. providers of 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 grease to turn the wheels of our system. And to see an evolving situation that we currently have, which just seems to change by the week, and to be watching all these webcasts with some really incredible thought leaders and and also engaging in these discussions, I'm finding it to be tremendously exciting. So um, really happy to be here. And thank you for, for allowing me a platform to give my two pennies. Yeah, my bust on the. Uh, sorry about the the era the, the era of Bristow. I was thinking about the era of Bristow tie up. So uh, yes, of course, no problem at all. No problem at all. It's all good. But uh, 
Hey, so look, we were talking about, you know, four things, you know, four things people need to be doing. What are they, what, what, if, if, you know, leaders of companies, what are the four things they need to be doing right now and focusing on as they move you forward know, the next, the next six months? Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. The, the, I've, I've tried to break down my thoughts into four buckets and each bucket is going to have a lot of subheadings and, and given the amount of time that we have, we're not going to get in, in, in depth, but here's how I break it down. In order to have a successful future, one has to protect the now, right? So there's the asset preservation and defensive mode, which people no doubt have been in over the last two months. Um, the second is to envision and to discern the future. You know, you learn that the best way to have a happy future is to actually shape it. And this is the industry's opportunity to be part of that shaping process. There's a tremendous void in leadership. There's a void in in, in, in what we're going to do, and, and there's, there's a void in certainty. So what better opportunity for the industry mm -hmm. and for business leaders and for leaders of all sorts to figure out how we are going to um, uh, shape our own destiny? Uh, the, the third bucket is the execution and the, and the um, acting on the change that, that is come and is continuing to come and which we have hopefully discerned in our in. In, in our examinations. And then the fourth thing, which I think is super important, is our people and our culture. You know, when, when businesses go through distress, it's very difficult for people to step back, take a breath, and think about things that don't put out the fire that's burning right in front of your nose. Mm -hmm. and, and people's talent strategies and people invest, people's investment in their teams and people's just discernment of whether or not they have the right people doing the right things with the right incentives sometimes falls by the wayside. And I, and I just wanted to make sure that I put that on, on my top four list of things to think about. Because without people, we won't get anything done in any industry. Right. So rewinding uh, to the protect the now. And, 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 and again, this is stuff that everyone has been uh, uh, dealing with for the last two months. The key to everything is liquidity. Mm -hmm. And you, we saw that the um, airlines have been um, given a lifeline by, by the governments. Uh, certain countries are going to give their airlines a lifeline, certain countries won't, certain airlines will get it, certain airlines won't. Um, and, and how that's done and, and what the extent of that is, is going to have knock-on effects for the future of our industry for the next three, four years, right? So mm -hmm. on, on the one hand, you could see the immediate effect of people not getting the kind of bailouts that they need and, and falling over and there being bankruptcies. With the bankruptcies, you know, um, you you scare away new sources of capital. You um, accelerate the decreases in residual values. Mm -hmm. More people lose their jobs, and there's that that human suffering. Um, and 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 you accelerate the shrinking. And 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 obviously, I think our businesses will shrink. So so maybe the market just takes care of it and resizes it it through a, a relatively efficient process, which is Chapter Eleven. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that. The, 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 the way that people will deal with what they are doing now will continue to, to, to affect us for another two, three years, which is imagine all the bailouts come with terms and conditions. Imagine airlines are raising huge amounts of money, which they have no choice but to do. Mm -hmm. But then in two, three years, when you have a recovery, if it's not strong enough to pay back existing plus all the new debt, how is that going to affect the industry in two to three years? 
um, if, 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 if the people running these businesses don't have the um, capabilities of, of accordioning their, their cost bases and expanding when they want and shrinking when they must mm-hmm. because of government restrictions on, 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 on employee numbers or routes that they have to fly, etc., uh, you you may get a bunch of zombie uh, airlines, which which you know may fall over later. So all we've done is made it worse by throwing more money at it, and then and then having a bigger topple, uh, which kind of happened after nine eleven, right? Um, so we've got the liquidity issue, um, you've got the safety of employees, you've got to make sure you know what the regulators are are asking of you. One has to understand their operating model and immediately change it to what the reality of today is. Mm-hmm. Um, one has to be helpful to one's customers and engage with them, but also keep an eye on the exposure to customers and, and customers that may be running up a tremendous amount of receivables that you'll never get because they're about to file. Um, everyone has talked about supply chain and the resilience in that supply chain. We see what's coming in terms of second and third tier suppliers perhaps not being able to make it. Perhaps not benefiting from the immediate trickle down of the of the bailouts for the either the OEMs or the airlines. Um, and look, the other thing that I think has come up in the last few uh, weeks is how uh, our businesses can be good corporate citizens. How can we ask the airlines to not just think about their day to day survival and the safety of their their employees and their customers, but also how can they contribute? And you can see that the airlines are actually being tremendously helpful to COVID by being the cargo carriers that they usually right. are, and and you know re re um, uh, re pivoting towards cargo from the passenger capacity. Um, and and I'm not quite sure what the economics of all of that are, right? But what the aviation sector, as well as every other sector, needs to do is to now do everything they can to be a positive contributor to society. Because this will is the right thing to do, but also it will buy the sympathy that we will need to get patience from our customers and our suppliers and our funders and the politicians to allow us to work our way through what could be a very slow comeback. It could be great, right? It could all come back in six months and none of this is relevant. I hope so. But if it isn't, we need yep. we need the support of all our stakeholders. So that's the now. You saw that. I mean, you saw you were at ILFC when you know the government took big stakes in ILFC, and that changed the dynamics of the company. AIG, ILFC being a division of AIG, and yes, you know, all of a sudden the political yeah, it, ramifications. Uh, yeah, the politics drove away a lot of good, you know, a lot of good folks, and created some yes. competition that may not have been yes. created if you know with you know, so you know it's, it's like almost oh, be careful what you ask for. The government gets involved. <laughs> It's it's an interesting point because we also became a systemically important financial institution, right? We you became did. a SIFI. And so the regulators who are more banking regulators than they are, you know, asset lessor type people came yeah. in and tried to make head and tail out of the ILFC business. And it was a challenge. It was very difficult um, yeah. for them to kind of understand the way that our world works. And and look, it didn't last long because we were sold out from under AIG and, and right. the right buyer bought it. And, and that business, certainly until eight weeks ago, was thriving um, and should continue to do well. But you're absolutely right. You be careful what you wish for. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, air lease was created because, you know, the, the regulators came in and, and it's uh, we're from the government. We're here to help. Right. Seven scariest words. that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we're from corporate headquarters and we're here to help is, is a similar one that, that I've, I've used myself as, a, as an ex-CEO and general counsel. Yeah, how are you? Uh, you know, let's just talk about protecting liquidity. A lot of people have drawn down their uh, they've drawn their revolvers down. Yes. Um, yeah, the the government's come in. Is that you know? Are you are you going out if you're CEO now? Or are you going out and talking to every private equity group you can and finding out who's got dry powder and trying to convince them that you uh, you may be in play? Or it's uh, I mean, it's a trick. It's a it's a uh, you know, it's it's a What's the word I'm looking for? It's it's it, a slippery it, slope. Look, it 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 can it can be, but I I would agree with the sentiment of going out and talking to as many sources of capital as possible, right? Because if you think about what you need to do to be a winner in this market in two to three years, you're going to need capital. Mm -hmm. uh, one part of that capital is the liquidity that you do that you need now, and and I think there's there's ways to preserve it through operational efficiency through reducing of variable costs, through renegotiating whatever it is that you can with your mm -hmm. banks, uh, with your suppliers, if you're a leasing company with your banks, if you're an airline with your lessors and mm -hmm. banks, uh, with the OEMs, um, and, and in turn, uh, 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 reducing your cash burn to a level that is as sustainable as possible, whilst doing that delicate balancing act of not killing off your suppliers, not firing everybody on your, on your payroll so that you can ramp up again. Mm -hmm. But it, but assuming that we've we're in a business that we've managed to preserve the the existential risk and have the liquidity and the resilience and the balance sheet, then I would definitely be out there talking to sources of capital because if you think about what's the second bucket, it's envisioning the future, right? And part mm -hmm. of that future, in my opinion, has to be innovation. Part of it has to be market consolidation. Part part of it has to be the acquisition of well-priced assets, which will no doubt return. And, and, and part of it will, will be uh, potentially vertical you know, whole, um, integration. So looking at your customers or looking at your suppliers and seeing which ones actually you do better to run than to rely on as an outside party. So the sources of capital are huge. And as we know, in an incredibly cyclical market like the aviation world, um, asset prices fluctuate tremendously depending on where you are in the cycle so you don't want to give up a good bargain um not to right. belittle the, the the difficulties that that lie behind those bargains right? right but but you know i think having dry powder to invest is hugely important gotcha how do people execute change right now what would you what would you suggest you know look i'm supposed to do a town hall with some folks tomorrow and i'm that's my thing. It's like, hey, look, here's how you ex execute change. And my, you know, my, uh, you know, my point of view is you do a bear hug with everybody and say, you know, it's time for everybody to add value. Um, you know, the days of I'm a pilot and I can make 300 grand for just being a pilot. And I don't have to help in other areas is going away. You know, how do you execute? You know, what's your, what's your idea of execute change from a, CEO standpoint. I'm going to give you a long answer, if I may. Yeah. Right. I think I think the first part of executing change is to have the right vision. It's a 
to have a clear message that you can pass onto all your stakeholders, whether it's your employees or your customers or your suppliers or your mm -hmm. funders or your board or all the people that the CEO has to keep happy. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a clear vision of what that change is going to be. And the change, I don't think any CEO can by themselves come up with that vision, right? Mm -hmm. It's the engagement of the teams. It's the engagement of the expertise. It's interesting. when I Every time I've gone into a business that needed radical change, I find that just by talking to people, just by going up to people in, you know, in, in the, in whenever you bump into them, not a, not a formal meeting, even, and just kind of saying, well, what is it that we do right? And what is it that we do wrong? What is it that you see the customers want? And what is it that you see the customers mm -hmm. uh, don't want? And what do you think they would want? People have such amazing answers, right? Junior people, mid-level people, senior mm -hmm. people, everyone has answers, right? But the day-to-day -day fire drill of, our corporate life sometimes stops people being able to see the big picture. And I think one of the one of the, the, the biggest roles of a leader is to help to in, create that vision and to see the big picture. So by listening, I think right. is the first step to, to do change. Um, and then and then you have to be kind of disciplined in, in, in terms of what you think about, right? So customers, what do mm -hmm. they want? What do they need? When can they afford them? And, mm -hmm. and how, what are the distribution channels, et cetera, right? And, and, and right now, if you take one example, um, what is it that, that, that the airlines need? And, and, and then that's the lifeblood of the whole industry. It's passengers, right? It's customers. Mm -hmm. So when are customers going to come back? How are they going to come back? Who those customers are going to be, business travelers mm -hmm. or low-cost you know, travelers that want a, a bargain to do a vacation? Um, and what is it that's going to create that demand elasticity? Is it pricing? If you mm -hmm. dump your prices, are people going to come back? Or is it safety? Mm -hmm. Do you, Are people going to be really nervous that um, they might catch something if they fly? Although I was reading an article on Bloomberg yesterday about um, the chances of catching something on an airplane versus a restaurant. And the restaurant was more dangerous. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially for the airflow and the and the HEPA filters that we have on aircraft, et cetera. Um, but 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 you know, like it or not, people are scared of getting into 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 mm -hmm. airplanes. So I think one of the things we have to do as an industry is to figure out how to give them that um, that uh, reassurance that they're they're going to be as safe as humanly possible by by getting on there, right? So mm -hmm. what is it that our customer wants? How do we engage with them? You should think about your competitors. What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Do they compete, you know, more effectively in other ways than, than we do? Which ones should we buy? Which ones should we just take their customers because we have the stronger balance sheet and the better offering and the better people and the better mm -hmm. strategy? And completely opposite to what I just said, where do we cooperate as an industry with there our you competitors? Go. Right? If you, if I, I feel we, we, every time we go through a crisis like this, we have to learn. And I think it was interesting. I was, I was listening to a, to a presentation um, from a scientist today talking about how data science can help us predict certain things, including um, pandemics. Mm -hmm. One of the things he was saying was if you monitor the price of garlic in China, um, you would see that before the pandemic actually came onto our radars, the price of garlic increased tenfold 
right? So there's a leading indicator that people are sick. Now, that, I okay. just use that as a really funny, trivial example. Yeah, no, hey. Um, but it just shows you how many ways there are to monitor data, how many ways there are to share data, how many points of cooperation we could all come up with if we decided to as an industry to share best practice, to share um, standardization, to increase mm -hmm. our efficiency and, and, and costs, and, and, and to increase the safety of right. our employees and our customers, right? So yes, let's, let's um, compete like red-blooded capitalists, but also let's figure out what's important to us the safety of our people, the, the, the resilience of our industry, and frankly, the, the safety of the environment too. And, right. and that's another issue that, that, that I think this industry needs to have on its long term. Yeah, everybody in aviation, everybody's a frenemy in mm. aerospace. It's, it's interesting to me is that, you know, a lot of people compete, but then they supply to their competitors, their supplier to their competitors. It's like, yeah, hey, yes. look, we're all, you know, we're, you know, we're all managing our P&Ls, but it's not like Ford versus GM. Dog. Well, actually, yeah, I can't even say that because Ford and GM just spent $10 billion or a billion dollars creating a 10-speed transmission, which is now used in F-150s and Silverados. So, you know, yeah. they're even, you know, they're doing a lot of yeah. cooperating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, and, and look, with the electrification of cars, sure. uh, the amount of R&D that we have to do to figure out how you create the next power plants and the next energy storage, Right. So everyone's competing there, too, cooperating there too. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how globalization and you know, you know new technology are creating standardization, and the differentiators are becoming between products are becoming you know less and less. It may be on a design, you know, it may be you know, functionality may be very similar, but design may be different. You know, you're yeah. you know, what, who makes. Yeah. It? I like the look of that product, you know, versus the look of that product. You know, things yes. are, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Now yeah. you're, you're a big believer that, you know, we need to have more cooperation now moving forward. I am. Look, I think, I think that, um, I come from the helicopter industry most recently, right? And it's, it's an industry that that's tough to make money in, right? But one of the, one of the things that the industry does extremely well is to work together on safety. Right. And, and you could argue that safety is a unique selling point of, of a business and why should you share your best safety practices with your competitor? But then the big picture is you, nobody wants anyone to die. Mm -hmm. Everyone's everyone's in one of these helicopters because they're 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 on there mm -hmm. to uh, to serve, whether it's search and rescue folks, whether it's pilots taking uh, oil men out to rigs, whether mm -hmm. it's emergency medical evacuation. And, and we as a society, I think, deserve, uh, are obliged to make sure that that's a safe mode of transport. So the industry shares through an industry body its, its safety uh, best practices and learnings and research and all the rest of it, right? So there's one very, very easy example. Um, mm -hmm. But if you think about resilience, which I think is, is, is one of the things that we're going to have to think about on on an ongoing basis. I think until now, we had got to the point where we were spoiled. It was just liquidity everywhere, money everywhere, profit everywhere. So let's maximize our profits. And maximizing profit means, you know, increasing your return on your capital, which means to have as little waste and as little cushion in your system as possible, which means you have no resilience. 
So, so one of the things that we're going to have to do is to figure out how to be a resilient industry. And, and I suspect that we will do that only by cooperating with our frenemies, um, figuring out how it is that we can be more efficient, how it is that we can share data. And maybe we all share data in a, in a third-party bank and it's all mm-hmm. um, uh, sifted through by a non-competing um, third-party entity that can um, analyze and sift through the data and start to see trends um, that may affect whichever part of our ecosystem right. as an aviation or aerospace industry, right? So, and, and that requires everybody to buy into a set of rules and then to feed that data in. Or mm-hmm. if the COVID crisis actually does lead to a global food uh, shortage through disruption of supply chains, again, one of the best industries to help mitigate that is, is our industry. And that will require a lot of cooperation. Um, so I, 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 I do believe that it, it does require a lot of thought and a lot of um, cooperation from different parts of our ecosystem, but ultimately it'll lead to uh, a, a stronger industry and one that has better buy-in from, right. again, the various stakeholders that we have. Let's talk about your last one. We'll, we'll, we'll do this real quick. You know, the, uh, the people and culture. I was just talking you know, to the CEO of one company and he's like, hey, look, it's, we got to look at it hard. What do you, you know, what's your, what's your opinion there? It's sometimes hard to think about talent strategy how your people are doing, what your culture is, when the the the, the roof is on fire, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about re- the requirements to go through all the heavy lifting that we just talked about, which is protecting your 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 current status, envisaging as a group, as a team, what the future looks like, executing on the change mm-hmm. that the the future is going to require you to have whether it's bringing restructurings forward so you do it to them before they do it to Mm -hmm. you Uh, whether it's starting to buy cheap assets because you have the balance sheet and you've been watching your market and you can pounce whether it's integrating your supply chain whether it's pivoting away from your current business line when we were at gate gourmet we were an airline caterer after 9-11 no one needed airline food so we became an outsourcer right we we started to do cabin cleaning, de-icing, asset management, yeah. duty-free cash flow management. Um, we, we made all the, the, the plastic wear that you get onto your trays when you get served a meal. And, 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 and we executed change very, very quickly. And if you think about now, I think those caterers will probably have to do more because I think food will be cut back even more. The opportunity sure. may be that everyone has to do a, a temperature check. Maybe that you need a lot of people standing at the gate, forcing the social distancing among so, people, right? So, so there's new opportunities, right? Yep. But but you can't do any of this without people who are motivated, people mm-hmm. who are engaged, people who aren't scared that they're going to either get sick or lose their jobs, people who aren't disenchanted, but people who have the culture of empowerment, of courage, of engagement. And they're going to go to bat for your business and for their customers, right? So the strain that we put our teams under when we take them through restructurings and transformations that are brought on by something difficult like COVID, I think has to be counteracted by our leaders to nurture their people, to protect them as much as they can, and to show them that this is how it's going to be okay. And, and you know, it's really sad because it's not going to be okay for everybody. We're going to yeah, have but- people who lose their jobs. 
But on the flip side, now is the time for a leader to step up to some of the more junior teammates and go, show me where there are opportunities. Yes. Put them in a put them in a PowerPoint or put them in a quick memo and show me where the opportunities are because at at this stage of the game, you know, we look at everything. Yeah. And out of everything, we might find four or five things and we'll give somebody a bonus. You know, whoever brings me the one of the four or five things, you'll get a little bonus and you'll be a happy camper and we'll execute upon it. <laughs> but that's, and if I was that junior guy, I'd be on the phone to the customers. Hey, what do you want? What can I get you? What do you, you know, need? What are you going to pay for it? I, I got to tell you, I remember, uh, you know, I remember uh, a day where, you know, Airplane couldn't get sold, and a VP of sales came in and said, "Whoever get whoever gets this airplane sold with good margins gets fifty thousand cash in a suitcase." And you know who the, <laughs> you knew who the good salespeople were, and you knew who the bad salespeople were because the good ones were like on the phone, you know, I'm going to get the cash in a suitcase, and he, and he delivered the suitcase. A suitcase full of fifty grand. Fifty grand. And wow. you know, you know, it's like, hey, look, yeah, yeah, it's amazing what uh, a little incentive will do. So, but as you said, the incentives are are so key, right? Yeah. Incentives drive human behavior, and and one of the things that leadership has to look at is the very prickly issue of incentives in this period. A lot of people have been given bonuses, bonus targets, and share options or whatever their right. long term based on the previous world. Right. Uh, right. So is it fair to reset everything? The shareholders are going to say, wait a minute, I've just got hosed and you want to give your people new targets because the world changed? Or do you say, well, actually, the reality has changed. What we need from these people is different. And, and let's yeah. allow them the opportunity to make money as they create value. Correct. Yeah. I, well, that's the whole thing. Look, the shareholders take the risk. Employees take a risk too, but the shareholders, yeah, the shareholders are typically the ones who take the risk. And at the end of the day, if you, know, you talk about if everything, if everything boils down to shareholder value, long-term shareholder value, sometimes that long-term shareholder value is created by a short-term bonus to a group of people who are going to reset the, yeah, yeah reset the bar. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what the shareholders just got to you know, understand. So. Yeah. It's all good. Are you optimistic? Yes. I'm, look, I'm, my wiring is one of optimism. So, yes. <laughs> look, at, look at everything bad that's happened in history. And unfortunately, as a, yeah. as a human civilization, we have a lot. And then just look at it, you know, five years later. No one, yeah. you know, uh, no, nothing stopped us. And I don't think this will stop us either. I am the eternal optimist. I, 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 I think ahead 12 months. And we'll be going, wow, that really sucked. I hope it never happens again. But, you know, let's go have some fun. And, and I think a lot of people are going to be saying that uh, in our industry. And, uh, yeah, it's just the optimist in me that, that says, hey, look, we'll, 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 we'll all get through this together in some, some way, shape, or form. You know what's interesting? The, the, the other thing to be optimistic about is the acceleration of innovation and cultural change that we're having right yes. so it's okay to be at home and do a zoom meeting so yeah. which means you don't have to get on 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 a plane to go to see that customer every single time and not see your family yeah right it's it, it we we are going to innovate through the use of it and and i think our industry and every industry will innovate through the use of artificial intelligence and various other kinds of it 
health. Um, I think I think if we renew a wave of cooperation as a civilization to understand that we are interconnected. So let's mm-hmm. use all the brains that we have all around the world to beat common enemies like this. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll have made we'll have made some something really wonderful out of it. Yeah, and hey, look, and your full service airlines too. You know, look, let's just call let's just call it. You know, flight schedules are going to get re, you know flight schedules are going to get adjusted. They're going to get downsized. Yeah. Um, business travelers will still need to be business travelers, and the business travelers we all know are the ones that pay the most. You know, now is a good you know now is a good excuse for the airlines to come back and say, okay, we're going to focus on the higher priced business travelers, and we'll leave a few seats open yeah. for you know social distancing if we need to. Yeah. But you know, you can regear who your customer is and and refocus. So I, look, I think there's a lot of opportunity in this. I think there's a lot of opportunity in this whole thing. And uh, yes, a lot of disruption. And if you have fresh capital, a tremendous amount of opportunity to pick up good assets at prices, which we haven't seen for years. I totally agree. Thanks for coming on Thank today. You for having me. Always, always great to have you. Thanks for coming on again. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com. Or check us out at www.northstaresg.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.